When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Well, good morning and a happy Friday. Hope this finds you in good form. What shall we talk about today? Well, Jordan Conroy's old rugby coach wants you to make an extra effort to vote on Sunday in Dancing with the Stars. I wonder if he can dance. How much is a GP visit in your area? And on the subject of prices, inflation rose 5.6% in the year to February, which is the largest jump in 21 years. But which prices have climbed the most? That's after 10. When you call 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text, you can WhatsApp 083 30 10 103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Good news on the agenda as well. Some fantastic fundraising efforts and indeed other gestures being made to help the people of Ukraine in their war against Russia. And you'll be meeting some of the people who are marshalling at the front line, so to speak, to try and get, whether it's wheelchairs or walking aids, other assistance to Poland, to Romania, to those other countries where refugees are coming across the border. And the war in Ukraine is on the front of just about every newspaper again today. You see a picture of Rhys Byrne from Dublin on the front of the Irish Independent. He's 27 years of age and he is going to fight in Ukraine. He's an Irishman and he says, I said goodbye to me, ma. It could be the last time. But he wants to be counted. He feels there's no turning back now. The main story there... Families forced to fight each other for food in the siege city of Mariupol. So desperate are civilians who are trapped there, where the Russians have besieged the city, not allowing food in. Many have no electricity. Temperatures are below zero. It's a really, really horrible situation. Front of the Irish Times... Shelling deepens humanitarian crisis in besieged town of Maripol. So the next unfortunate chapter in this story could well be a chemical attack. Now, again, depending on whom you believe, Russia claims the Ukrainians are developing chemical weapons. President Zelensky of Ukraine says, if you want to know what Russia is planning next, listen to the accusations they make against others. Anyway, that's what's on the front pages. There is, if you're pro-Ukraine, as I think many people are, there is some good news in there as well. For instance, a tank commander, Russia's 6th Tank Regiment, Colonel Andrei Zarkov, a man who had been personally decorated by Vladimir Putin. According to intercepted radio communications, he was shot and killed yesterday much to the alarm of the troops around him. And it's, again, further evidence, the Ukrainians would say, that Russia is getting bogged down and their assault on Kiev is not proceeding according to plan. But what should we be doing here? Because the 
Story on the front of the star concerns energy prices yet again. The headline asks, Will the last person who can afford their bills please leave a light on? Government in dark as to how to halt worst price hikes in decades. Which is fuelled by war, let's face it, and speculation. Big institutions taking bets on which way the prices will move. And the journal.ie covers remarks by two TDs here in the Midlands. Charlie Flanagan of Fine Gael, independent TD Carol Nolan. Both of whom feel the ban on turf cutting needs to be reviewed in Ireland. You haven't been able to harvest peat commercially since about 2019, since there was a High Court ruling to that effect. And in the case of Charlie Flanagan, who's a very senior politician, he was Minister for Foreign Affairs, he was Minister for Justice, he says against the backdrop of a war in Europe and the consequent fuel and energy challenge, it's time to review that ban. Carol Nolan called on the government to at least temporarily suspend the regulation around large-scale peat extraction. Are they right? Or is it regressive? Is it a backward step? Is it not the opportunity to do so? Now, petrol stations are being warned. They need to avoid cartel behaviour. And you may see, depending where you live, prices all at the same level in every single petrol station in town. Is that just coincidence? The watchdog in this case is the Consumer and Competition Protection Commission. And they've written to the Irish Petrol Retailers Association. They represent four courts the length and breadth of Ireland. And one of the concerns is that on the eve of the excise duty cut, lo and behold, many petrol stations increased their prices by about the same amount they would discount the next day. In other words, no savings were passed on to you as a consumer. And according to the association spokesperson, a chap called David Blevings, Increases in global pricing translate into an increased wholesale and retail fuel costs and the retailer has no choice but to pass this on. But the state's competition watchdog is warning them not to engage in anti-competitive behaviour. It just sounds to me like a lot of talk, a lot of bluster, a lot of smoke and mirrors. Have there been any fines issued? Do they have any teeth? Is there any consequence to the sort of behaviour you saw the other night? Prices jumping up only to fall back down again when there was a tax cut. Anyway, we'll watch that space. Now, welfare cheats, cheat us all. Wasn't that Leo Varadkar's bold claim? The Irish Independent tells you, actually it's the Irish Examiner, excuse me, uh, tells you about the people who were overpaid welfare by more than €200,000 last year. In fairness, you're going to notice you're getting that much extra. There were five people who last year received an overpayment in excess of €200,000. 70,000 people in all received more than they were entitled to. But for those really large overpayments, did you really think 
you were going to get away with it. You'd have to assume, eventually, somebody's going to notice. Some pen pusher in the Department of uh, Social Protection will say, mm, hang on, the sums don't add up here. Are you really better off chancing it? Or should you put your hand up immediately? Anyway, that story in the Irish Examiner. Here's one from the Food Safety Authority, a statement we got in at midlands103.com yesterday, concerning rice milk. Do you drink rice milk? I've tried soya milk from time to time, but generally I prefer the dairy stuff. Not everybody's taste, I admit. So rice milk, uh, coconut milk, almond milk, soya milk, all sorts of various milks, non-dairies, have become popular in the last few years. However, the Food Safety Authority is now giving advice to parents that infants and young children up to the age of four and a half should not consume rice milk because it contains arsenic. Yeah, you heard right. Arsenic. Inorganic arsenic is the most toxic kind I didn't think there was a good kind of arsenic, to be honest. But according to Dr. Pamela Byrne, who's the chief executive of the Food Safety Authority, she says exposure to toxic arsenic must be kept as low as possible. Arsenic is present in the environment. Therefore, you can find it in a range of foods, including rice, at low levels. But for children up to the age of four and a half, it is to be avoided. Yeah, I wouldn't think it's particularly good for you if you're over the age of four and a half either. I have to admit, that's a new one on me. We shall find out a little bit more, get a bit of context, try and put it in perspective as the show goes on. Niall Horan is doing very, very well for himself. Never mind One Direction, never mind his single career. He is the founder and chief executive of Jim Plus Coffee. That's a clothing brand that last year increased its turnover by two and a half times and is now generating uh, 20 million euro per year in revenue. This guy's a savvy businessman. The company made a million quid in profit. It's growing rapidly. It has 13 outlets across Ireland and the UK. So many feathers he has to his bow, not just as a singer and a songwriter, but as an investor and businessman as well. Brian O'Driscoll is one of his partners in Jim Plus Coffee. Well done, Niall. Nice to see a success story. And finally, if you're a Star Trek fan, remember Jean-Luc Picard, engage. He's the bald captain who came after Captain Kirk in Star Trek The Next Generation. And he is back with the second series of the self-titled Star Trek Picard, which you can watch on Amazon. There's a review in the Irish Times today which asks, where did a Star Trek space person learn to say Slauncha? She's a Romulan and she's played by an Irish lady, Orla Brady, and she's excellent in the series, by the way. Anyway, the review of this second series of Star Trek Picard is that it's pretty good, but it's not a lot of fun. It's a lot of introspective, soul-searching, why didn't he ever get married, etc., etc., etc. It's a bit down in the dumps, this review. I actually enjoyed immensely the first episode of the second series. 
and I would thoroughly recommend it if you're a Star Trek fan. Trekkie, Trekker, call yourself whatever you want. It is a return to form. If you've watched it, give me your verdict on it. Certainly season one, yeah, lacked in a few areas. Season two makes up for it and then some. Now, if you love your new Irish music, VIP, the very Irish playlist with Adam Cunningham debuted last night. Adam is a musician himself from Moton County, Westmeath. And it was an excellent, excellent programme. So Thursday nights from 10 until midnight for the very Irish playlist. By the way, tonight, Anne-Marie Kelly brings you the Irish albums we all love to love. From Lizzie to The Stunning, The Pogues to Monday, The Frames to Fontaine's DC. Two hours of blissful album tracks on the Roadhouse Cafe. 10 until midnight with Anne-Marie Kelly. Now, average temperature around the Midlands this morning, currently 8 degrees. Next, if you think your local petrol or diesel uh, retailer is price gouging, they're ripping you off, what can you do about it? Well, we've asked the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission. You'll hear what their answer is next. Midlands Today with Tullamore Motors. The all-new Renault Zoe. Live the easy electric life. TullamoreMotors.ie Barry Cowan is not impressed with petrol stations that are profiteering on the back of what he calls the barbaric invasion of Ukraine. The Leishoffley TD says he's spoken with a number of staff yesterday who had received an instruction to increase the price of diesel from €1.99 to €2.14 just before the cut in excise duty took effect. A number of other deputies in the Dáil are calling on the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission to investigate allegations of price gouging by fuel companies. Now, you'll hear in a moment what the CCPC has to say for itself, but Deputy Cowan has been telling Midlands 103 Sinead Hubble he feels sorry for hard-working staff being used as pawns. Yeah, I had heard instances and had been contacted and my office was uh, that there appeared to be some price gouging going on amongst the trade. I called into an Apple Green station, um, bought some diesel, and I just asked when the price went uh, to 1.99, and he said uh, this morning. And I said, "What was it at? It was at 2.14. When? Since when was it at 2.14?" He said, "Yesterday, a quarter to five. So, on foot of that and other instances and evidence, as I said, I've contacted the. Competition and Consumer Protection Commission. Um, you know, I've stated that there's obvious gouging, uh, unjustified profiteering in the wake of the war in Ukraine and the sanctions on the Russian Federation, which led to increased energy costs anyway. But, um, you know, any exploitation of a barbaric war such as this is morally reprehensible, and such gouging and profiteering is completely unacceptable. And it's essential now that the investigative powers of the CCPC are put to use and that there's justifiable sanction against those who perpetrated this deplorable act. And what kind of sanctions are in place? Well, that's a matter, as I said, for the CCPC. Um, they can be fined, uh, they can be prosecuted, uh, and the public and 
you know, um, make their own mind up as to whether they wish to use these outlets uh, for such goods. And it would have, you know, I feel sorry for the staff who are um, very helpful at all times and work hard and diligently. And to be used as pawns in this game is not fair to them at all. And these companies, they're bigger and stronger um, than the sum of their parts. And it's essential that they acknowledge their failings and rectify it as soon as possible. So for anybody who wants to report to somebody, how do they go about it? Well, I'd ask them to join me in contacting the uh, Competition and Consumer Protection Commission. Uh, highlight the specific instance where they believe this occurred and to make it known and have it investigated and as I said have, appro- have appropriate sanction placed on, on, on the perpetrators it's as simple as that Barry Cowell speaking with Sinead Hubbellies of Fianna Fáil TD in Leash Offaly now we contacted the Consumer and Competition Protection Commission. We asked if they could make a spokesperson available for interview to answer your questions. Uh, they sent us two sheets of paper. Uh, good morning, two sheets of paper. Don't think that we're going to get very far answering questions on this. But anyway, so they've said on the two sheets of paper that price gouging is not defined in law, but is generally understood as a situation where a trader charges prices at a level that is considered unreasonable or unethical, which I would assume covers the last 48 hours. Uh, Is price gouging against the law? No, no. It says traders in Ireland are free to set and change their prices for goods and services. Then it asks if the CCPC is a price regulator. They say they're not a price regulator. They do not have a role in monitoring price levels across the economy. What role do they have then in relation to pricing? They said they're obliged to make traders display prices to consumers before making a transaction. So, yeah, you should see well advertised, whatever the price level is. If they don't have the price advertised, then you can take enforcement action. Are there price limits? Here's a question. Are there price limits on the prices traders can set in Ireland? No. No, there aren't. But maybe page two gets better. Hang on. Page two, what have you to say for yourself? What is price signalling? Ooh, price signalling is when businesses make their competitors aware they intend to increase their prices. So if a business knows their competitor is pushing prices up, they too may be encouraged to do the same. That is against the law. Right. What is a cartel? Cartels are a serious form of anti-competitive behaviour which occur when competitors agree to fix prices, share markets, restrict output, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, doesn't say they're doing anything about it. Um, Are traders obliged to pass on reductions to VAT or other excise to consumers? No, it says. Traders are obliged to set their prices independently. They are free to set and review their prices at any time. So, two sheets of paper. What good are you? Thought so. 083-3010-103 The Midlands 103 text and WhatsApp line. Powered by Lamb Brothers Art and Road Tullamore. Home of Toyota. The top-selling car brand in Offaly.
Yes, quite a few listeners asking, what is the point of having a Competition and Consumer Protection Commission that, in effect, doesn't protect consumers when price gouging takes place? Well, we will be back to that. But let's focus on some good news. The effort that continues in Ireland, here in the Midlands and beyond, to help the people of Ukraine, the human spirit, the outpouring of generosity, just lifts the heart at times. And I want to highlight one particular effort that is underway by the owner of Eskery Nursing Home. That's Kevin Marr. How are you, sir? Not too bad, Will. Eskery Nursing Home is in Clara, by the way, in County Offaly. So what have you and your team been doing? Well, Sheila is, the, is the, my sister. She's the manager of Eskery. And today they're having an appeal for Ukraine, for residents and families to donate um, money, basically. If, uh, for anyone who wants to donate to Ukraine. And she basically put it on me and she said, what What are you going to do, Kevin? Will is giving us an odd plug here now. So, like, you know, a, free, a freebie here without doing something yourself. And I kind of thought about it and I said, um, well, look, I kind of watched, I've been watching the war going on and it's been very... Very like, emotional. Very sad, really, mm. for everyone. And you and some staff as well who are from yeah, there's Ukraine. Staff, there's a couple of staff from Ukraine. There's a few from Poland. I've seen how well Poland has been really, really did come up trumps with mm. with um, what they're doing. Like a million and a half refugees gone in there already. So I said, look, we we have. I said, right. Well, what will we do? I said, I know we have. A, I have a storeroom full of wheelchairs, right? And nursing homes in Ireland are actually in a unique position with wheelchairs. If you are in hospital and you break your leg, you get a wheelchair. You wheel around the mm. ward. Um, and it's used for a week or two, and then the next person breaks a leg, he's using that wheelchair. Yeah, they're but re- recycled. Basically, the nursing home situation is people come in with a wheelchair. It's an end-of-life situation, right? So people come in with a wheelchair. When the wheelchair is finished with, the family generally doesn't want the wheelchair back, mm. so we end up with a wheelchair. And it's so kept in storage kept, in a room well, forevermore. Like, well, probably eventually you get thrown out, but I have a big storeroom full of wheelchairs, mm. walking aids, and... Basically, uh, like, it's a shame to have to throw them out. I said, like, it, it's you, there's nothing we use in society anymore. So this stuff is all basically logged in a room. I said, can we, not, we can't use it again. And it's all sitting there. So I said, right, well, why not? Maybe we'll go with the medical aid effort for Poland and I'll organise a truck and we'll send... I'm going to go on to like-minded nursing homes. There's 25,000 people in private nursing homes in Ireland. I have a nursing home with 130 beds. We have at least 130 wheelchairs over the last hmm. years in the storage. So it's one for one say, as, at a minimum. And I'm so, guessing that every other nursing home will be in a similar in situation. Same, so there's 25,000 private beds. There's another six or 7,000 public beds. So there's 31,000 wheelchairs doing nothing in Ireland, hmm. right? Same with walking aids. Right. So I said, right. And I know a lot of people, my sister and other people who have crutches, you get them in the hospital, they're not reused again. So I said, right, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to get a big sign made up. I, I, we'll get um, the wheelchairs, walking aids and, and crutches. And we'll bring them all here. I'll set up a collection point here for them at the nursing home, which I have. I spoke, like, I bought a container of Tom Coleman in Clahan in January there. And, and Tom basically leases out storage. Mm-hmm. He's on the road to Tullamore from Clahan. He leases out um, basically his containers for rent for storage and he also sells another one. So I said, Tom, I want to buy a couple because I wanted to put tools in them anyway. Our, I'm, I'm a builder and 
everything is thrown in a heap and we wanted to, to basically keep the place tidy. I said, I want more, another, we have one container, but I want a couple more store materials and, and tools. So anyway, I have had them delivered and I, we put a roof over them between them and we have this just ready to go. And I said, this would be an ideal collection point for our stuff when it comes in. So, so you're I, putting out an appeal to other nursing homes yes. now. Well, if, I'm actually prepared to go. I have two trucks. I'm prepared to drive to the other nursing homes. If they have, are like us, have in the locality, you know, not, I'm not probably going to go to Kerry, but maybe in the locality and maybe other nursing homes. Yeah, but step up to the in Strad Valley. Yeah, or, exactly. Or, well, you, I'm you, living you, in Limerick. I'll even do that. I, my, <laughs> okay. So I can cover a fair distance, right? But, but anyway, that's the plan, right? But then I said, right, okay, we need... So I spoke to Tom. I was originally thinking, buy a container, fill it with stuff, send it to Poland, leave the container behind and and like let them live, like someone maybe make a little house out. Hmm. But no, they, they said that wasn't a good idea. I, I actually, Tom put me on to a Polish um, transport company, right? Well, he, Michael is his name. He lives in Ferban. He organizes different Polish um, delivery drivers coming from Poland. He said to me, we're coming from Poland with a lot of stuff all the time and we're going back half empty because Ireland is exporting less than Poland to Poland than Poland is exporting to Ireland. I said, right, Michael, well, this sounds like a great opportunity. He said, there are a couple of criteria. He said, you have to have a destination for me. There's no point me sending me to Poland with lads. I don't know where you're going. And you want to, you want really, we'd prefer the Euro palette, which is an 800 by 1600 or by 1200 palette. He said, we'd like it wrapped in, in them palettes because they're the ones that like, they're the, all our PPE comes on these palettes. EPAL is written on the side of the palette, European palette, right? So they're the ones, we have a heap of them palettes left over from PPE that came. And he said, look, I said, we have PPE, lover. we don't want PPE. I, I, I'm sorry, I went on. I got this on this to, is becoming a story of reuse and recycle, really, yeah, isn't it? You're putting all the yeah. discarded materials yeah, to good this use. this is all going to waste in Ireland mm. anyway. So, I mean, I actually had to throw out a few because we ran out of storage. I put out, like, they're not throwing out, they're, in, they're out in the weather, put it that way. But I have the room full. But basically, um, I spoke to Evelina, our chef in the nursing home. She's from Portland. I said, Evelina, look, we have to have a, a, a logistical situation. I want to deliver this to a place. And Michael said to me, we need a destination where they'll take it off. So I basically look like I've been watching the news. Premzel in Poland is like a small town. You like you think it was a massive when you see the refugees all coming. It's southeastern Poland. It's a bit like Waterford in southeastern Ireland, but it's, it has the same size as Waterford. It's only sixty thousand population, and there's a million people coming in through. Goodness, this. goodness, so, they'll so, be overwhelmed if they don't get yeah, resources. Yeah. Well, I rang. I said, right, Evelina, you speak Polish. I I googled the hospital, Padre Pio Hospital in Premzel. I said, Evelina, will you talk to uh, Sylvia? She was the girl that came on. So Evelina talked away in Polish and Sylvia told her, this is, uh, this Premzel is the main, one of the main reception points for people mm. coming from Poland. So that's so, where all the medical aids will be going. Yeah, well, basically, no, not the hospital. She said, there is an old Tesco store, is no longer Tesco. In, I said, oh, is Premzel even in? Or would they even have, well, it's Poland, it is probably European. I said, would they even have a Tesco? Well, Tesco used to be in this in this location, down the town, from the hospital. It is the main reception point for people coming from, the U- U- uh, Ukrainians coming in, and for all the trucks being delivered with everything that's coming. So I said, right, great. We have we have a destination. I have the, the Polish drivers who know the country 
And now we have, all I want is, the, and I have enough nearly to half fill a truck myself, but I'm going to make sure I have at least a truck full. And even, and, and, and as Michael said to me, he said, sometimes we have a half load. You you get the pallets ready. Tell me you have 20 pallets mm. of stuff wrapped. I spoke to Ganley's about supplying me pallets if I ran out and wrap. And they said, no bother. Okay. They had a big so, collection last week. No wasted space. No waste. Everything uh, will, yeah, will get yeah. straight to where it's needed. Yeah. And for nursing homes who are listening now and who are looking in those storerooms and they've got the materials you need, how do they get them to you or how do they contact you to collect? I'd spend next week going gathering up and get a couple of trucks. If I have to send two truckloads, if we end up having too much for one. But as Michael said to me, sometimes we've half a load. So call you at Escarie Nursing Home. Yeah, 05793-3030. That's where Caroline is on the desk there. She is basically taking any donations today and financial donations and she she will... Um, and the donations are going to the Red Cross, aren't they? They are going yes. to, they are going to the Red Cross. But if people have wheelchairs, um, crutches that they don't want um, and walking aids, we'll take them. I have a collection point for them Fantastic. outside and I have big signs uh, for them to deliver them there. Probably from Monday morning the signs are being made at the moment. Okay, Kevin, you're a doer. That's quite a logistical <laughs> operation. Well done and we will uh, update next week to see how much progress you're making. Thank you. Stay there for a moment. That's Kevin Marr who owns Escarie Nursing Home in Clara. Now Rory McCauley is on the phone once again from EU Trans but this time he's in Gdansk. Good morning Rory. Good morning Will. How are you? Very well. Now, when last we were chatting, you were gathering together, uh, not unlike Kevin, some medical materials and other supplies to bring to the front line. Update us. How have you been getting on since? Uh, Very good. After our um, talk with you last week, we were inundated with... um with offers uh, and donations of a bit of everything, but um, we, we were able to target exactly what they were asking for out here. Um, very quickly, we filled our load. Um, a couple of other um, um, organisations got together. They gathered up stuff, helped us to fill it. So Ringtown Hurling Club, um, Congish Ladies um, in Longford and School Wira in Longford, three of those uh, organisations came together filled a load in fact we filled uh, a load and a half we've had to give a load, half a load to another company who are are, are, are heading out as well hmm. and what's the scene that has greeted you there can you paint a picture for the us the scene is our, 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 our your previous um, the previous man you spoke to there um, yeah he's correcting what he was saying our destination was, was there originally they have told on our way they told us that they were overwhelmed with uh, with um, with trucks arriving daily um, they put us in contact with a university in Gdansk who have set up a foundation to deliver aid direct into villages and towns in Ukraine, in Kiev, in Lviv and Kharkiv. So what they've done is they've, they've opened up a, a distribution hub in the University of Gdansk. We are one of the first trucks to arrive from Ireland here and deliver um deliver aid direct to them here. They're, they're sorting it here and they're loading it onto smaller vehicles, trucks and vans and taking it direct over the border into small villages, towns and into into the the, 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 the bigger cities, Kiev and Kharkiv and Lviv. Rory, I understand there's somebody with you there who's been volunteering on site for quite a while. 
Ender Manning is here with me also. He's been equally as active in, in, in gathering this load. He's travelled with me together. We shared the driving from, from Ireland to here. And we've been met here in in this university with, by an army of volunteers ready to, to unload our truck. Um, it's very busy here this morning. Lots of volunteers. Everyone's trying to... to, 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 to receive the goods coming in, sort them out into into boxes for direct for the soldiers, boxes for those that need first aid, boxes that need for kids' toys that need you know, you can mm. understand what I'm trying to get at here. It's it's all been segregated and, and um some are going straight onto vans and straight across the border, some are going to a diff- different hubs where they might dist- might need first aid uh, more so than here or they might need stretchers or or, or um, wheelchairs more so than they would here. It sounds so strange, so alien, so unlike anything that we would have seen here in Ireland, certainly. Is yeah. is it as unusual and as surreal as it sounds? Um, it's 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 surreal because uh, Gdansk, we were surprised it's such a lovely city, and um, we came into a wonderful university here. But when you when when you when you go into the it's it's the corners an auditorium when you go into the door it's it is a it is a, it's alive with with people packing stuff mm. uh, unloading vans loading vans again it's it's it is surreal to see packs been 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 packed up for soldiers um, with with torches with 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 bulletproof vests with hard hats um, um, food packages for those soldiers that are actually actually fighting and are on the ground and uh, yeah it is very very surreal um two of the main organizers here of this foundation here these two ladies are here with me um i'm sure you want to talk to them and they give get their side of the story yes please please okay i'll put you on to them here now hello hello good morning good morning tell us about the work you're doing Yes, good morning from Poland. What we're doing, uh, we're helping Ukraine in many, many ways. We're we're helping refugees who are in Poland. We have over one million refugees in Poland uh, right now. Uh, And we are taking people who are uh, in the Ukraine. Uh, So we are taking in a lot of ways. (laughs) We are helping in a lot of ways. Well, you're talking to a lot of people in Ireland who want to help, who want to send the necessary supplies what would be useful? What would help if we were to send it to you? We need some food, I think. Uh, yes. No clothes. A uh, lot no. of stuff things for babies. Yes, yeah. hygiene stuff, food that uh, is like uh, very long, um, uh, good food for eat. <laughs> I'm not very good at you know, it. No, no, we know what you mean. So non-perishable food, um, supplies yes. for babies... Yes, some medicine, medicine, yes, uh, uh, bandages, uh, everything that could be useful uh, in survival, in, also in survival, yeah. uh, like uh, compass, uh, yeah. like learn it. I don't know how it is in English, and a lot of stuff that is it's like tent, 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 things that we uh, think when we think about military what do we think uh, but not weapons you know what I mean no Ireland has not sent any weapons to the conflict we have sent medical supplies ladies keep up the great work and thank you for taking the call this morning uh, thank, thank you so much thank you for your help um,
prior to those ladies, Rory McCauley, who will be making the journey back to Castle Pollard with EU Trans very soon. The 10 o'clock news is next. Midlands Today on Midlands 103 with Tullamore Motors. The all-new Renault Megane. Feel the drive. TullamoreMotors.ie and still to come today, the man who introduced Jordan Conroy to rugby in the first place. So it's his fault that he's on Dancing with the Stars. But in all seriousness, let's support our own so that he doesn't face another playoff, dance-off. He's not facing the chop yet again this Sunday because he's one of the best in it. He's consistently scoring some of the highest, highest marks from the judges. Also, how much is a GP visit in your area? A quick straw poll as to how much you're paying. And on the subject of prices, by the way, let's look at what has gone up in cost year on year. Because the Consumer Price Index rose 5.6% in the 12 months to February. That is the largest increase in almost 21 years. Colin Cotter works on the Consumer Price Index with the Central Statistics Office. Colin, good morning. Morning, Will. How are you? Nice to speak to you. Very well, thank you. So, will you break down what is in the Consumer Price Index to begin with? Yeah, so the Consumer Price Index is it's the uh, official inflation rate of Ireland. So, it includes 615 items that we price monthly, and those items would include all goods and services that a consumer would purchase. So, anything from hairdressing to petrol, food that you buy in your groceries, airfares, all kinds of things that a consumer would buy. So of those constituent parts, which have increased by the most? Well, in the month, this month, as you said, it was 5.6%, which is the highest increase in, since April 2001, which was also 5.6%, so almost 21 years, which is quite large. Um, the divisions with the largest increase would be transport, which was 15.4%, and that's mainly been driven by petrol and diesel, which are up over 30% each and airfares, which is up over 42% compared to last year. And what about home heating oil? Airfares, perhaps we can only a few times a year weather the cost of, but home heating oil is pretty much year-round, well, barred maybe the summer months. Yeah, yeah, correct. Uh, that is up one of the highest. It's up 53.7% on the year, so that's quite a large increase versus February last year. And things like gas are up over 27%, and electricity are up 22%. So a lot of energy prices are mm. Yes, you could put them under that broad category of energy, but there's a ripple effect from that into other costs as well, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. So if we look on, on the change on the month, we're starting to see increases in food. So the f- food was up, which which would include food that you buy in groceries. It wouldn't include food that you buy, let's say, in restaurants and takeaways. It, it was up um, 0.9% on the month, so nearly 1% versus January to February this year, and 3% on the year. So that, 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 that would affect people as well. Is there any heading in which prices are coming down? Um, uh, on the year, we would have two headings that were actually coming down. We saw, so education is down 0.8% and a category we would call miscellaneous goods and services, which would include things like hairdressing and insurances are down 0.6% and education is down 0.8%. Right, but it's really marginal compared to some of those increases you mentioned, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, quite, they're quite small and it, there's, not, there's nothing singly really driving them in, in those categories. It's a couple of things. And bearing in mind, this is for February, so much of the impact of Ukraine yet to be seen then? Well, uh, I suppose in the, in the CSO, we don't really report on the why, it's more the, the what is. So um, 
So a lot of these price changes would would have been recorded in the early part of February. So anything that's happened in between wouldn't have had an effect. Yes, that'd be correct. Yes. So <laughs> it'll be interesting to see. This is a monthly release. You'll have an update in a few weeks' time again, will you? Yeah. You, usually around the second week of, of of the month, so it'll be the second week of March. We'll, we'll have the, the inflation rate out again. And um, so yeah, so it's, it's monthly. So we would expect we, we've started work on that already. So we started pricing for that already. Colin, good to talk with you. Thank you very much for taking our call. Colin Cotter from the Consumer Price Index of the CSO. So, home heating oil, one of the most pronounced increases there. 53, nearly 54% of a rise year on year. What else are you noticing? Because this captures only so much. And apart from education, apart from some miscellaneous goods such as insurance... And I'd even personally have a question mark over that one. What is perhaps going down in price? There was a a remark made by the Transport Minister, Eamon Ryan, the other day, that if you were to slow down on your journey, you would save fuel. And many were calling him tone deaf, out of touch, etc. To some extent, he is right if you were to set the car at 100 kilometres per hour on the motorway instead of 120, you are going to burn less fuel. It is going to be more efficient. But it's not... You see, that's a very simple equation. It's not the whole picture. Because your time has a value. And if you arrive home 15 minutes later, for instance, on a daily commute to Dublin, well, that adds up in a week, in a month, in a year. So how much is your time worth? Really, it comes back to how can they, in the Department of Finance, work out a way to cut energy prices? And certainly when you look at the VAT that is being collected on petrol, on diesel, on home heating oil, on electricity, on all sorts of energy, you'd imagine there's certainly room to manoeuvre yet. Quarter past ten. It's time to look your best in suits, casual, formal and footwear for men and boys at Guy Clothing High Street Tullamore. The leading clothing destination for every man. Open Sundays from 12 to 6. Follow Guy Clothing, Tullamore on social media. Midlands 103. Let's come back to your messages. So Dave in Westmeath would like you to do an experiment the next time you fill up the car. He has noticed that once he picks up the pump, and starts to pump the fuel. It registers at 15 cent to begin with. Not at zero. It starts at 15 cent. And he's wondering if you can confirm this observation. So you lift the nozzle, pop it in the car, take a look at the readout. Does it start at zero or does it start at 15 cent? Well, do you know what sickens me, says James in Portlaoise. What's that, James? When you go to a charity shop and the clothes are more expensive than when they were originally sold. He has noticed, for instance, a Penny's T-shirt, which was 250 off the rack and is now pre-worn at €3.50, so a euro more expensive. Depends who wore it, James. If it was you, for instance, that would add value, wouldn't it? I'm being facetious, but yes... Generally speaking, charity shops are a source of value. That's why you go there and you can find the most amazing clothes. But not always, obviously. 
Now, on the subject of money, and there being no shortage in some cases, Electric Picnic sold out in 30 minutes. 30 minutes, having gone on sale those tickets at 9 o'clock this morning, 70,000 shall be travelling to Stradbally and they will be watching the Arctic Monkeys, Dermot Kennedy and many more on the main stage. But weekend camping tickets sold out. Family tickets sold out. Sunday tickets sold out. Camper van, caravan, sold out. You get the idea. That is demand. It is 17 minutes past 10. The number one news and current affairs show in Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Midlands Today. Midlands 103. Dancing with the Stars returns this Sunday and the Midlands is glued to Jordan Conroy to see can the Tullamore rugby player make it all the way to the final. But unfortunately, the public vote hasn't been terribly kind to him, even though the judges are incredibly impressed. So let's meet a man who perhaps is to blame for all of this. Dennis Magner, hello. Hello, Will. How are you doing? I say you're to blame because you, at... Ooh, he would have been 16 years of age, introduced Jordan to rugby? Well, he came to Tullamore College as a first year. And... He was absolutely, came in with a reputation of being a brilliant athlete, and he was a brilliant athlete. And at the time, we ran county sports every year, and we were guaranteed, whatever age group Jordan was in, we were guaranteed 12 points. There was four for a win. Jordan, you could take part in two events plus the relay, right. and Jordan inevitably won. So we'd probably get the overall trophy in that age group because of Jordan's performance. He played soccer as well. But we, Keith Begley, our PE teacher, was always on to me, in relation to the rugby. Why not try and get Jordan off for the rugby? And we tried and we tried. We eventually got him out in fifth year and he had a little run at it but didn't make the team. And in sixth year then we were going well. And we persuaded him to come out to train before the semi-final. Now we didn't pick him because you couldn't just put a fella mm. straight mm. onto the team. We brought him on as a sub in the semi-final. We won that. And we won the final against Oatlands from Dublin. I played up in, uh, in uh, Newbridge College grounds. They would, they'd be a traditional rugby school. We wouldn't have been. We were a development school. And, I suppose and we, it's a private school as well. I mean, they'd have huge resources school. to plough in. Yeah. Oh, they were there in bus loads and in their marks and everything. And we'd no support or anything there, mm. you know. So for the first 20, 25 minutes, the game was bogged down. We had a very good team, excellent defence. So had they. And we were literally throwing everything at one another but making no progress. So eventually they got a bit browned off and they decided they kicked the ball down the field. Jordan was playing on the right wing for us, got the ball, took off and ran the full length of the field, skinned everyone, scored under the post, 7-0. Ten minutes later, he repeated the dose. So after that, they, they were afraid to kick. Mm. And uh, in fact, they had no plan B then. And we won the, the final easy. And but your faith was, in him was justified then? It was. That yeah. was Jordan's introduction to rugby. And then we persuaded him to go up to the rugby club. And he played a bit of underage rugby. And then Ivor Scotty, I suppose, was responsible for getting him involved in the, the senior team. And like he scored one try up there and that went viral. That went all over the place because, again, he did something similar. Ran the length of the pitch and scored under the post. So and it was of no surprise to you to see the success he's achieved since then? Not really, no. No, and uh, I suppose he was lucky that 
He came and told us he was leaving. We were only a junior club at the time and that he was going to Buccaneers. And like we said, Jordan, the best of luck. The door here is always open mm. if you ever want to come back. But you can't hold a, a young fella back. I suppose he was lucky he had great support from his mother as well. Like I'd have to mention that. She kind of supported him in everything he did. He was successful. Oh, including pulling with my parents. Did you watch that? No. <laughs> oh, I did. I did. I did. I saw that. That was very, very That was good fun. I it think. was, yeah. Were the women swarming him even back then? Um, not. Jordan was never a real womaniser in the sense that, I suppose, anything he put his mind to, he really worked really hard at it. Like, he, the, the commitment he gave, once he got involved in the rugby, all of a sudden he gave huge commitment. Mm. Went to Buccaneers, did well there. Then got signed for Connacht as a 15 side player. And it was after that then that the other sevens side team pulled him in. Hmm. But you can see evidence of that commitment even now on the television where he shares on Instagram behind the scenes where he's joking and he's acting the maggot and what have you. But you don't pick up a routine like that and perform as well as he does without concentration. Well, Jordan would never be noted as a dancer, I wouldn't have thought. You know, I wouldn't have put him down as someone with twinkle toes and it would be great on... Now, he's a brilliant athlete. Yeah, I was about to say, he had the physicality. And very, very agile. But in terms of ballroom dancing, you definitely wouldn't put Jordan down as a candidate for that. Mm. So for him to take that on and give the commitment and to do what he has done, like, that's been a huge effort. And that's what we as the television audience probably underestimate. Mm. Because we see the end result only. We don't see the graft that goes in through the week to perfect That's why I was very disappointed then to see the kind of support. Because Offaly has been famous for supporting its teams, its athletes. It's like you... It's called Faithful for a reason. Hmm. Yeah. What's his name? Casey from Ballycumber. um, Simon Casey. Simon. The support he got at the time when he was taking part in the competition. Our Paralympics, the support they got. Even Jordan, when he went to the Olympics, there was huge support from around town. There were banners up all around town and everything else. You take our current hurling and football teams, they're not going well. In fact, they're going quite poorly. But yet they're getting huge support because Offaly have been brilliant down through the years at supporting even teams when they're not going so well. And that's why I can't figure out, like, he's not getting the support he should be getting. And I suppose that's why... Hmm. You know, I would regard myself as a kind of a family friend at this stage. And I said, what can I do to help Jordan out? Because he wouldn't have a team behind him. Like, he's his mother and sister. That's basically the backing Jordan is getting. And to be able to get publicity, put out posters, Jordan wouldn't have the finances. Because what he's getting in the other sevens, people think, oh, he's an international paid or um, professional rugby player. The sevens are poorly paid compared to the 15 aside. So Jordan wouldn't have the resources there to fund that kind of thing. You know? So he needs the community needs and the wider Midlands and to get behind Midlands, him. Yeah. Mm. Because like Father Ray got the support when he was on it and not running him down. It wasn't his dancing. And, and we've talked and he, to him about that. And it wasn't his dancing that got him through. It was the support mm. of the local people that got him through. But he says, and he's proven correct over this series that if you're at the bottom or if you're at the very top you're probably safe mm. it's, it's if you're somewhere in between because the public makes an assumption well you've got very good scores from the judges you're safe yeah. so they rally to the novelty 
the sympathy vote. What, and I'm not suggesting Father Ray or Marty Morrissey or Des Cahill or any of oh, these yeah. guys were just so bad to get sympathy, but certainly they were protected by the popularity. Yeah. And Jordan, is it a rugby thing perhaps? Is there, uh, you know, if he if he was known in the soccer world, <coughs> would he be getting more support? I, I don't know. Like, Offaly have never differentiated in terms of sport the way they've supported our people. No matter what Offaly team or what Offaly person is doing well, Offaly, they've always had that kind of tradition of rowing in behind them and giving them every bit of support they can. Pauline Corley was another one mm. when she went to the Olympics and ran the marathon. The support she got all over the Midlands. You know, you can think of loads of people. Oh, the Midlands is all, all I, I was actually about to make a parallel Athlone 2005 Donna and Joe McCall they ended up going to represent us in the Eurovision in Kiev I think of all yeah, places now just yeah. going on memory and again the entire region got behind them that's right yeah so you I, want the same to happen on Sunday I would love for people on Sunday evening 6 o'clock or around that time get on their phones and give Jordan the support that he deserves mm. when you see someone local putting in the effort, representing Tullamore, representing the Midlands, I think people should get in behind him and make sure he gets through. Can I ask you a question? Do you dance yourself? A little bit. Do you? Yeah, I like to do anything I can do. Like I used to go for the grill at the last when I was younger. Well, so I could do... Um, stand up there for a minute. <laughs> Wait, Stand up there for people a People can't see this anymore. Oh, oh, well, here comes the camera. Here comes the camera. Okay, here comes the samba. You've got to go on Midlands103.com, Facebook, Instagram, to see what we just saw. Dennis, <laughs> you can cut a move. Well done. Thanks, <laughs> Vote for Jordan this Sunday. Dennis Magner, take care. Okay, man. Midlands Today on Midlands 103 with Tullamore Motors. The Renault Capture. Capture life. TullamoreMotors.ie how much do you pay to see your doctor? And you've heard so much in the last couple of years, and particularly since the onset of the pandemic, about longer and longer waiting lists and many GPs no longer providing a service in certain areas, some having waiting lists, some having full capacity. So this has all been researched thoroughly by the Economic and Social Research Institute in a new report from... Senior Research Officer, Dr. Sheila Connolly. Sheila, good morning. Hello, Will. Tell us about some of your findings. Yeah, so this piece of work, um, we were looking to compare the healthcare systems of Ireland and Northern Ireland. And as you mentioned, uh, just there, in Ireland, there's uh, significant user charges uh, in Ireland for a range of healthcare services. So to see your GP, um, if you don't have a medical or GP visit card, uh, to access a physiotherapist or an occupational therapist, for example. But in Northern Ireland, there's uh, very, very little uh, user charges. So, for example, while people used to have to pay for prescription items um, in the past, that has been um, abolished for a number of years. So what we're interested in doing is trying to see, well, do these differences between the systems 
have implications for, you know, the way the people that use the mm. system and um, kind of uh, outcomes as well. So what did you find then when comparing the two? Well, I suppose we is a mixed picture. Um, I suppose the first thing to note is that there was relatively little comparable data between Ireland and Northern Ireland, and that restricted what we could actually look at. But in terms of what we could actually look at, we found a, a mixed picture. So, uh, for example, uh, health status appears to be better in Ireland relative to Northern Ireland, um, and not necessarily related to the healthcare system, but you know the wider uh, aspects that might impact on health. But things like life expectancy and infant mortality, which are kind of measures used to uh, compare on aggregate the population's mm. health. And if you look at about 20 years ago, we would have seen that Ireland was um, performed relatively poorly relative to Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. But that there's been significant changes over time and that now uh, Ireland surpasses uh, Northern Ireland and the, the rest of the UK in terms of uh, life expectancy and infant mortality. And how long, by the way, should we expect to live and how does it compare to the North? Um, so it, it depends on whether you're a male or female and it depends on whether you're you know, more dis- deprived or, or, um, or uh, more advantaged. Um, certainly uh, well into their 70s for men and uh, into the 80s uh, for uh, females um, and a discrepancy of, say, about 1.5 to 2 years then between um, Ireland and Northern Ireland. Now, in terms of access to GP care, again, the model in the north would be quite different to here and and cost barriers and so on. So, again, take us through your findings of how both jurisdictions differ. Yeah, so I suppose that the significant difference is that uh, in Northern Ireland, everybody, everybody that's a resident of Northern Ireland is entitled to free GP services, free at the point of use. So you don't you don't pay anything. And You contrast that to uh, the situation in Ireland where those um, without a medical card, without a GP visit card, which is about half of the population, um, they have to pay out of pocket for uh, their GP visit, which is uh, somewhere, uh, I mean, regional differences, but often between 50 and 60 uh, euro. Now, I suppose the caveat with the situation in Ireland is that those that are most deprived and those that are, are generally in most need of healthcare that will have um, a card, that isn't always the case. So there is a buffer to some extent to protect the most uh, disadvantaged. But we know there are many people that you know that will struggle and will forego uh, healthcare and not see the GP uh, in Ireland because of the cost. Yes, when you mentioned this regional variation, is it more expensive in Dublin and the cities generally, as is often the pattern That's with right. services? It is, yeah. So um, um, we haven't looked at it explicitly, but uh, kind of what you would see, you know, even if you look on the, the GP's websites that in uh, Dublin, you can often be talking about 60 to 65 uh, euro for an initial consultation. Um, and uh, in other parts of the country, it can be 45 to 55. So there certainly is a, a regional variation there. There was some heated debate at times during the pandemic, particularly in lockdown and when services were closed, about what would be the long-term impact on this on other conditions beyond just pure COVID prevention. And what did you discover when looking at that? We haven't looked at that yet, just because with the data hasn't come through uh, to us. I know there is some work looking at the impact on cancer services. And what that would suggest um, is that, you know, there has been a delay in people getting uh, diagnosed and treated for cancer. And obviously that can have, you know, longer term implications as well. 
What we did look at was the proportion of people on uh, waiting lists and in particular on uh, public hospital waiting lists. And while public hospital waiting lists have been an issue uh, in Ireland for, for a number of years, you know, well before the pandemic, what we've seen is that in both Ireland and Northern Ireland, since the onset of the pandemic and the curtailment of um, many hospital services, that these waits, so the, the proportion of people that are waiting for more than a year, so they're already on the waiting list to see there or to be admitted for more than a year, um, that, that, that proportion is increasing over time quite significantly. So having looked at both areas and bearing in mind their separate jurisdictions, separate policies and so on, what becomes of your report and how will it be put to good use? Yeah, so I think one of the things I think I mentioned at the outset is that the type of, of analysis that we could do was, was somewhat limited by the data. So I think we've identified a number of um, areas that are certainly worthy of, worthy of further explanation. Uh, one in particular I think that's of interest is that um, we looked at, we know that reform in both Ireland and Northern Ireland, they're trying to change the, the, the health system and move it more from the hospital side uh, to more care in the community or, and in the primary care side. And we looked at uh, something called avoidable hospitalizations, and we found differences across the jurisdictions. Now, given the analysis that we did, we can't say um, exactly what the reasons for these differences are. But I think, you know, we will hopefully be able to do some more work in the future that will be able to tease those out. And that might give us some uh, clues about how to reduce the emphasis on hospitals in both systems and have better primary and uh, community care services. Dr. Sheila Connolly of the ESRI, thank you very much for taking our call this morning. Now, it is coming up on a quarter to 11 on text on 083 30 10 103. Will, I read that years ago about rice. This is from Vi and the story earlier from the Food Safety Authority in which they're encouraging you not to give rice milk to children under the age of four and a half. The reason being that there are small amounts of inorganic arsenic in rice milk. Yes, you heard that right. And Vi, you remember reading something similar years ago, so you always wash it thoroughly before cooking rice. It was recommended back then, it's still recommended today. From Anne. Good morning, Will. I took some ladies, boys and other clothing and toiletries to a pick-up point this week, but the only items accepted were the toiletries. My friends and I, we've many items of clothing available, so can anybody tell me where I can leave these much-needed items for Ukraine? Well, interestingly, we've heard from a few sources, and even the ladies who were volunteering in Poland earlier, and they told us quite clearly clothes are not something they are looking for, at the moment. Now, that may change. John in Moat has a suggestion on fuel prices, and in particular if retailers are taking the you-know-what. He says, the next time you go to a petrol station, buy your fuel and do nothing else. In other words, just pay for the fuel, don't buy a drink, don't buy a sambo, no sweets, no chocolates, not even a newspaper. Hurt them where it counts, he says, and I bet it won't be too long until they reduce the price of the Oh, and by the way, especially know that will hurt the coffee. It's astronomical. So, if you, if you buy when you pick up your... That will make a difference to the retailer's bottom line. Now, 
Charlie Flanagan was a cabinet minister, says this listener, when the decision to make indigenous and hereditary fuel harp illegal was made. Almost 25 years ago, my late father used to say the day would come when people would regret making themselves dependent on other countries for the basics. For fuel, sugar, meat, fish, grain. I always thought he was overreacting and being foolish. Turns out he was right. The educated and people in the know so-called, they are the ones who have proven to be fools. Image here of a Certa filling station with what appears to be some of the best prices in the Midlands. Diesel, 180.8 per litre. Unleaded, 179.8. And that's from Stephen. Thanks, Stephen. And one other message from Keith. He says, if you fill fuel on a frosty morning, especially petrol, it gives you just that tiny little bit more than if it was a warm day because fuel is more dense at low temperatures. Also, excessive braking is known to drastically increase fuel consumption. So the more you can anticipate and plan ahead, the more economical your driving will be. Midlands Today on Midlands 183 with O'Brien's Mullingar. It's official Westmeath. No county loves Renault more. P.O.Brien.ie Tommy was listening to the uh, statistician earlier from the CSO about prices and mentioned that a haircut is slightly cheaper than it was last year. Well, big whoop, says Tommy. Surely food on the table is far more important than cosmetics. Yes, indeed. So have you noticed already when you go to get the groceries... Any impact on prices? Jackie is on the phone from Mullingar. Hiya, Jackie. Hi, Will. Good morning to you. Good morning. So what have you noticed? Yesterday I went out um, grocery shopping and uh, in one of my local stores and I really noticed the prices were really, really up. And then I went to another store where I did another bit and the prices were okay. Maybe one or two things, but was okay there. So what seemed to be going up in price, particularly? Potatoes and some milks, breads, sugars, teas, all that kind of... Pretty much across the board, then? Yeah. All kinds of washing powders and, you know, all that kind of stuff we use every day. Seems to be all getting a hike up. So when you got to the till and everything was added up, how much of a difference did you notice? I noticed about nearly 20 euros. 20 quid and uh, on yeah. on a total of how much? On a total of 100. Wow, so a 20% increase yeah. in a week? Yeah, I did notice it, yeah. Yeah, I really noticed that their meats are up as well. Because you know the way when I usually go in, I buy... Much the same thing every week, maybe a few bit different bits, but mm. I've noticed that most of the stuff that I buy are up. And up. you didn't have anything extra in, in there? You didn't sneak in an extra no. bottle of wine or anything? No, I had no wine. <laughs> I had no wine at all because I'm, I'm a non-drinker. And um, I, I didn't have any sweet stuff. You know, I really didn't have any sweet stuff. And I'm, I came home and I was thinking about all of this. And I said, my God, I had no sweet stuff in that trolley at all. 
I had a pot of ice cream, but that was it. It was from yogurt. Oh, you have to live as I well. I mean, yeah. yogurts have gone up. Yeah, it's just an eye-opener, all of this, that they can rise their prices up like that. I mean, it's one thing at the pumps, but it's another thing at the grocery stores. Well, they'll tell you it's because transport costs go up when diesel is more expensive and to get items on the shelf, they have to go in the lorry and so on and so forth. But you mentioned you were in two places and it was really only in one where the price increase was most noticeable. The other was yes. more or less OK. Yeah, the other place was more or less OK. Yes, it was. Yes. Well, then again, maybe they had stock in before the increases. It'll be one to watch next no. week. I wouldn't think so because this store seems to be good. I would not think so because I didn't notice anything, maybe one or two things, and that was about it. Jackie, hopefully it's just a one-off. You might see a few specials next week. You'll be able to duck and dive and avoid the increase. (laughs) Enjoy the yoghurt and the ice cream. (laughs) I will indeed. Thank you very much. Take care, Jackie. 0818 300 103. The Midlands 103 comment line. If you've already been doing the shopping... What have you seen? Now, he'll be at Electric Picnic. And if you haven't already got tickets, by the way, bad news, they're sold out in just half an hour this morning. But very soon in County Leash, you'll see Dermot Kennedy. Dermot Kennedy outnumbered. So, in view of what has happened between Russia and Ukraine and our reliance on Russian gas, is it time we started harvesting peat and became self-sufficient once again. Some TDs in the Midlands believe the answer is yes. I want to know what you think. First, though, let's find out what's happening in the latest news and sports at 11. Feel good radio. Love the Midlands? Love Midlands 103. Today, the Friday panel discusses how humans could soon live to be 150 years old. Just imagine fuel prices by then. Also, why do we prefer to communicate through emojis than confront our feelings, according to a new survey? And the more serious side of the news as well, inflation biting, the contenders to be the next party leaders and so on and so forth. Anyway, that's on the way in 15 minutes. Now, I asked you a few minutes ago whether you would like to see Ireland begin harvesting peat once again, a very sensitive subject here in the Midlands. But in the name of self-sufficiency, at a time when we are reliant on regimes such as Vladimir Putin's and Russian gas and Russian oil and Europe in general is very much over the cosh, Germany in particular, with such a high amount of its energy dependence being on Russia. Charlie Flanagan is the Fine Gael TD in Leash Offaly. He's a former Minister for Foreign Affairs. And this week he tweeted that against the backdrop of a war in Europe and a consequent fuel and energy challenge, the government should review the ban on peat harvesting that has effectively been in place since a High Court ruling in 2019. He's not the only local TD to float that idea. Let's meet Carol Nolan. She's an independent TD for Leash Offaly. Deputy Nolan, good morning. Good morning, Will, and good morning to your listeners. What are you proposing? 
Well, what we're saying is quite clearly in the Rural Independent Group that we have fuel in our bogs while people are freezing in their homes. And at the very least, government should temporarily suspend the current system of regulation that is preventing the large-scale extraction of peat from Ireland's bogs. Now, I just, to, to put my cards on the table, I've been against the restrictions from day one. But I think now that we're in a deep crisis, a, a deep global energy crisis, that we now need to recognise the fact that we have a plentiful supply of peat to meet our energy needs and that we need to be allowed to go back and harvest and make sure peat is harvested at a commercial level. In addition to that, the horticulture sector also needs peat. So if we were to see change in this area, it would allow food security and it would also allow for, for fuel security going forward because the situation is not going to abate for some time, it would appear. So what we're asking for is just common sense. And for this to be looked at, at the very least, it should be explored because, as we all know, sometimes government's interpretation of environmental regulations is done in the very strictest sense. And there's no leeway whatsoever. It seems to be very extreme. Um, in how they do things. And a perfect example of that is the just transition, which was meant to be a 10-year process and not an 18-month process. So we're saying that there may well be leeway here for us to utilise our bogs. They're on our doorsteps. We're surrounded by them in Leishoffley, and it makes perfect sense. There's a lot to unpack from what you've just said. So let's start with what you said about the government taking a strict interpretation. It's not the government doing so. It's the High Court. So how do we change the law, or should we? Well, look, the government at times have taken a very strict interpretation and they haven't challenged anything in terms of... Now, I believe that there may well be legal and regulatory space there, but that's, that question has never been asked. And instead of that, we're being led along by the nose to go along with green policies we cannot afford and that are quite extreme and quite radical. So the questions need to be asked. Is there legal space? I believe that there may well be. And in fairness, some government TDs are asking the same questions as I'm asking as an independent. There is huge concern Mm. and surely, surely something can be done. Okay, well, let's assume for the purpose of argument that there is legal space. You said temporarily. Can you define temporary? Well, while this crisis lasts, at the very least, I would dearly love to see peat harvesting resuming on a permanent basis. And I've always said that I was opposed to the ban from day one. But I think to be fair and to be reasonable and to adopt a compromising position, at the very least, we should be allowed to harvest peat until this war comes to an end and until indeed the impact of that um, comes to an Mm. end. Well, I was about to say, it may be many months after that until the markets stabilise. Exactly, exactly. Until until we see stabilisation in the world markets. And nobody can put a time frame on that, unfortunately. But I believe that would be the sensible and pragmatic thing to do at this time. We just cannot allow people to suffer unnecessarily, I believe, in, in some cases, and certainly in terms of fuel poverty. We cannot allow that. And I feel that we have to step in and try to do something to ease the pressures on, on working families and indeed on elderly people also who are finding it very difficult to, to meet the costs of fuel, even with the fuel allowance. And, and it just we need another alternative. And this, this is the problem all along that I've said. It's the absence of alternatives. And, and now we're faced with this crisis and it's exposing the government folly of pursuing something 
um, pursuing a, a very radical and extreme green agenda and following those policies without even asking the questions. If there was le- legal space, should something happen, have we legal space? None of that was thought out or planned for, unfortunately. And now I feel we need to go back to the drawing board and ask those questions and ensure that we do have a plan in place to help people uh, to survive um, and to see us through. Also, as mm. I said, and emphasise food security, which is becoming a major issue also, and we need that supply. Indeed, but let's not, let's not go down that particular road for time's sake today. We have to, uh, well, I have to at least play devil's advocate, and if there was an environmental scientist on the programme, they would argue that if you must burn fossil fuels, the least damaging and the cleanest is gas. And why would we not try and source gas elsewhere for the sake of the environment rather than turn to peat again? Well, look, at all, all options need to be explored. But how long is it going to take us to get the gas infrastructure in place would be my question. I believe it will take too long. I know that there has been issues in regard to the LNG gas terminal and all of that. And I believe that certainly that is one option. But we need some option and some alternative quickly. And we have a resource on our doorsteps. So my argument is why not use it? Does it make sense to let people go without fuel? I don't believe it does. I believe that somebody needs to to step in, government needs to step in and call the halt to this and put a plan in place and allow us to access the plentiful supply that we have because it just does not make sense to impose more hardship on people at a very, very difficult time um, that we're facing here. And I believe that these measures would greatly alleviate um, the negative impact that the war is having on us. And now, if we think about it, government is telling us we're on a war footing and, and to get ready and do this, do that, and accept this and accept that. But their response must also uh, be on a war footing. We need to see urgent actions taken here. We need to see strong leadership and strong decision-making made. And that's what I'm calling for here. Well, Eamon Ryan, yesterday, the Minister for the Environment, or Transport, I should say, he said the power fuels of the future are sun and wind. Burning peat is wasteful. He also talks about the bogs as being a useful resource to store carbon. I don't think you're going to persuade the Greens, but Charlie Flanagan is just one in government parties to question, at least for now, temporarily, whether the ban should remain in place. How many others, and do you believe you may have the numbers to get the sort of temporary lift that you're looking for? Well, look, I, I know for a fact that some government TDs have become, a, have, you know, become very frustrated at the current situation. And anybody with an ounce of pragmatism in them would see that we need to do something quickly and fast. So I would be hoping, and indeed I'm calling on the government TDs, particularly the rural TDs who understand this situation very well, to stand up and and help and work cross-party because that's what we need to do here for the benefit of people and for the benefit of citizens throughout the country. We have an issue here. We need to resolve it collectively. But Eamon Ryan talking about something that may not take place for 10 years, uh, such as development, which I wouldn't agree with all of them, by the way, and I just want to put that on the record in terms of wind energy. I don't like the way things are done and the way it's imposed on people. But that's something down the line that he's talking about. So is he suggesting that people freeze in their homes while, while we wait for infrastructure to be put in place? 
we need urgent action and unfortunately I don't think the Green Party get it or understand how rural Ireland operates and they do seem quite detached and quite aspirational and quite radical and quite, and as I said, unwilling. Yes. I'm uh, mindful, mindful there's no representative of the Green Party to refute what you're saying. They probably would point out, I surmise, we're coming into March, we're in March, we're coming into spring, it's going to get warmer, this temporary lifting of the ban that you're calling for isn't really going to achieve that much now. Uh, if the war is still going by the winter, perhaps, but why do it now? I think it has to be done now. Um, I think it has to be done and, and, you know, we need to prepare for for next winter and the time for that is now. And, it, you know, the Greens, it would serve them better to come in and collaborate and show a bit of common sense now and again. And here's an instance where they need to show some common sense and indeed some leadership and listen to their constituents because a lot of the constituents are raising this issue with all of us, regardless of, of our label, whether we're independent or green or Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil. This is an issue that affects all people across the board. And I believe that everybody should work constructively together to try and get that temporary ban uh, on the harvesting and make sure that people can harvest on a commercial level and provide fuel and make sure nobody's cold in their home. Carol Nolan, Independent TD for Leash Offley. Thank you for your time. 083 30 10 103 on text and WhatsApp. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Would it be a retrograde step to suddenly start harvesting peat again? Or are you there on what has been quite a cold couple of nights with the knees rattling and the teeth chattering, thinking, where am I going to get the next euro to pay for my heating bill? 083 30 10 103 again on text WhatsApp. Powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. 18 minutes past 11. Midlands Today on Midlands 183 with Bus Erin. Get better value using the TFI Go app for the Bus Erin at Lone Town Services. See transportforireland.ie. Now let's meet our Friday panel and we'll start with Fergus MacDonald from the North Offaly Community Development Network. What is that, Fergus? And good morning. Good morning, Will. Good morning to everybody. Yeah, well, North Trophy Community Development Network, Will, is an umbrella body of 15 community organisations throughout the North Offaly area. And we're based here at the old school in Dangan. And we're fundamentally providing services for older people throughout the North Offaly area, which includes meals on wheels, a hot, nutritious meal delivered up to five days per week in the person's own home. We do what we were doing prior to COVID. We were doing um, home visits, which we had to discontinue and that's been replaced by a friendly phone call service hoping to get back to home visits sometime in the future and we all do a home also do a home and garden maintenance for older people at costs uh, including putting in personal alarms for for older people and people with disabilities uh, essential home repairs and smoke alarms carbon monoxide alarms so well done. a big umbrella uh, group uh, covering a wide area uh, focused on the older and, and vulnerable people throughout the, throughout the area. Well, let the word go far and wide because there are many who may not know about the service to be able to avail of it in the first place. So if you think you need to have a conversation, who do you talk to? Well, you can phone us here at the office in Dangan, the old school in Dangan. It's 057-936-2755. Uh, anytime, Monday to Friday. And uh, if we're not here, sometimes the office may be unattended. But if you leave a, a voice message, we'll get back to you promptly. And hopefully we'll be able to 
um, you know, respond to the person's need. And also, if anybody out there, if I could take this opportunity, will to say that we're all looking for volunteers to deliver meals and wheels if they have um, one day a week or whatever um, availability they have, we would certainly appreciate their uh, help and support to deliver meals to, to throughout the area, in their own area, throughout their own Great time. Stuff. Well done, well done. Let's take a morning as well to Gabrielle McFadden, who was a county councillor, a senator, a TD in the Athlone area under the Fine Gael banner once upon a time. Good morning, Gab. Morning, Will. How are you? Very well, thank you. What have you been doing outside of politics since we last spoke? Oh, I've been relaxing and, you know, drinking champagne and, you know, that kind of thing. No, I, I thought you were doing that in politics, no? Ha, 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 very funny. No, I, um, I've, been, I've kept up a few of my um, interests that I had when I was in politics. My, some of my voluntary work that I was doing, like, you know, things like um, at Lone Community Task Force, which is not unlike what uh, Fergus is talking about there. Um, the Dean Crow Theatre, a few other projects like that that I would have been involved in when I was in politics. I kept them up on a voluntary basis. Um, and I'm also working now part-time on a project. I'm a project manager with um, a project called uh, Social Enterprise Exchange. It's part of the Just Transition Fund. Mm. And we're mapping social enterprises in the Midland region in the hopes that down the line we can um, find out, you know, what's working for enterprises and and develop that and what's not working and see what can we do to make it better for them. What is Um, a social enterprise? Well, that's the $6 million question, I suppose. Well, I mean, uh, we're trying not to, if you like, um, give it a definition because it varies in different places. You know, in some places, some people think that a credit union is a is a social enterprise. Other p- people might think that uh, a creche in a community centre is, an, is a social enterprise. So we're not putting a definition on it because we don't want to rule anybody out. But I suppose what I feel a social enterprise is, is um, an enterprise that is is giving employment to people. Um, and even if that enterprise is making a small profit and putting it back into the enterprise or, or even getting funding for the worker mm. from government, it's still an it's still an employment. So to my mind, it's an it's an enterprise. You know, it's a social enterprise. But I mean, it's the backbone. And we've seen during COVID and we've seen during lockdowns how organisations like Fergus, which I think is a is a, a fantastic um, social enterprise, they kept going. You know, um, and I think they're providing jobs. And you know, I've always been an advocate for the fact that there is life outside the pale, and the Midlands is is. Is a, is a great place to live and work. And so social enterprises can, can help that and contribute to that. So know? a bit less profit-driven, a bit less corporate, a bit more human, you might say. Absolutely. Uh, and providing jobs and providing services that might otherwise not be provided by a big company who wants to make just a profit. And, and our final member of the panel, let's say good morning to John McCann from MCM Accounting in Tullamore, the ultra-capitalist. How are you? Good morning, young Will. I'm absolutely fabulous in this super morning. So what do you make of social enterprise? Well, I think it's... Uh, we would, we would be involved in, let's say, the auditing and accounting for <clears throat> a number of these organisations. And they range from community centres to uh, various schemes that assist in, in, in some sort of social activity. They're absolutely critical, I think, for kind of rural life. And just to kind of maybe touch on on, on what Carol was saying previously, um, (coughs) I would concur with pretty well most of what she said. 
and probably a lot stronger about certain members of the Carol Nolan previously. Carol Nolan, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, of certain members of the of the Green Party on in leadership terms, um, it's absolutely vital as I see it, and, I can, and because we work a little bit with them, um, the sort of stuff that they bring into communities, they bring jobs, they bring sense of purpose, and they probably bring a great sense of. Um, Social benefit and you know that that's 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 good for the soul and good for the heart. It's absolutely critical, and you, they, they're helping people, um, as well as uh, inter- interjecting um, economic activity. Well, so that's all good. Well, by the way, there, there's been a strong reaction to Carol Nolan, the independent TD for Leash Offaly, and her remarks about the lifting of the ban, even temporarily, on peat harvesting. I'll come back to your messages. I'm not ignoring them, but let's, I suppose, kick off the panel discussion with what is the inescapable story of the week and it is inflation yet again and the attempt to limit the damage of the war in Ukraine in terms of fuel prices seems to have been a bit of a failure. The 20 cent reduction on excise on a litre of petrol, 15 cent for diesel, swallowed up rather quickly. What's been your observation in North Offaly, Fergus? Oh, look, unfortunately, Will, you know, fuel affects every facet of life. You know, it doesn't matter um, for the vast, vast majority of people. Uh, and I, I've always been, uh, you know, amused, to say the least, that, you know, when they put everything was sacrosanct until very recently, that no no changes could be made to any of the, the old reliables of uh, excise and, and, and a lot of the taxes. But here, Preston, I know we're in a new, a new and a different environment in Europe. Unfortunately, dreadful carnage going on in Ukraine, absolutely dreadful altogether. And none of us here in this side of Europe can, would have a full appreciation of what people are, are, are actually experiencing out there. But to go back to the, to the question, I mean, you know, ta- uh, the, the exercise on, on, on the petrol and diesel, I'm curious to know, was the planned increase going to happen? Uh, I know there's suggestions by some political commentators and po- political uh, professionals that there was a bit of price gouging going on. I'm not that sure that that, that is the case. That that will only come out in the wash. Uh, but it, it, it's quite possible that the increase that was planned, uh, that's alleged to have been price gouging on the eve of, of the reduction, was going to happen anyway, um, regardless of whether the, the, the government reduced the excise on it or not. So been a bit, bit curious to know the, 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 the truth of all that matter. But look at I think some people found it a bit of a coincidence if it was a natural increase. It just happened to be precisely the increase that the excise yeah. cut was offsetting. It was, but I mean, I, I've been amused as well in recent times. There was always a fair differential between petrol and diesel uh, prices at the pumps to, 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 to the public. But now it's, it's reversed uh, and superseded. Now <laughs> diesel is, is dearer than petrol. And I don't know there was any any change to the excise rates on on on, on either to, to to bring that about. So I'm curious to know where does that come about? What's the explanation for that? Well, Gabrielle, if you were in Leinster House still, what do you think? What sort of suggestions would you be putting forward? Oh, well, thank God I'm not. Um, I can I can say what I feel now and not have to be worried about what cuts going to come at me. I think you know. I think we have to accept that we're in wartime. You know, and this is affected by war. You know, I don't. I can't say about whether there has been price gouging. And I know Fields for Ireland are very offended by the Taoiseach's uh, remarks yesterday. Um, but, you know, <laughs> we have had, if you look back over the last year, we have had slowly but surely an increase on fuel all of the time. It has been gradually creeping up all of the time. 
Um, and the petrol stations, I mean, I've had conversations with petrol station people in, in Athlone now, and they're saying to me, well, you know, Gab, we paid for this fuel before this reduction happened, you know, and we paid with the, with the excise as it was, and the supplies were in the forecourts, and we'd already paid for it, so we have to recoup that. Um, I don't know, You're, like you said, Will, is it a coincidence that the actual amount of the increase is exactly what, what the reduction in the, with, with the excise cut was? I don't know. Hmm. Um, I, I suppose, to be fair, not all are behaving equally and some have passed on the savings are. more than others. Yeah, absolutely not all are. And, and, you know, I don't know what the answer is because, you know, Pascal Donoghue said it yesterday, we're living in a wartime and, you know, it was bound to affect us, um, you know, so I don't know what the answer is, really. Um, I suppose we wait and see how how this actual reduction pans out and see what he can do for us. I, like, we don't have a rainy day fund, as far as I'm aware. We had a rainy day fund that we were building up over the years. That rainy day fund was used during the pandemic. Um, yeah, National Pension so, Reserves Fund. It's well depleted well, yeah, at this stage. Was, we, we had it during the pandemic to pay people, and, you know, we don't have that now. Um, I don't believe, I don't know. I mean, I'm not in there, so I don't know. But I, I just, I don't know what's the outcome going to be. I just think it's just the whole situation is so desperately sad. Um, it's hard to even look at it on the news and you see the uh, women and children and elderly and, you know, it's just, it's awful. The whole situation is awful. Hard to process, especially there was a picture in the papers yesterday of the maternity hospital, the lady yeah. on the stretcher outside and then Russia turning around and suggesting it wasn't really a maternity hospital, that it had been evacuated, yeah. that it was occupied by troops and was being used by the Ukraine military. And yeah, there was a doctor somewhere yesterday that said that they lost babies um, out of a special care unit because during the night they had to take the babies down into the basement and they didn't have the ventilators to put the babies on the ventilators in the basement. So they were actually doing it manually and they lost babies because of that. Um, I mean, that's just, that's horrendous. You know, it, it's just hard to comprehend that, that that's happening in 2022 in, in our in our world. It's just, it's awful. Part of me, I must admit, doesn't want to comprehend it, can't comprehend it, no, too much no, to process. You're, you're probably right. <laughs> Back to the economics, and we're fortunate there's a, an accountant on the panel. John, when it comes to cutting fuel, excise was one option they could have perhaps pulled the VAT lever as well what would be your take um, well I think uh, <clears throat> I think our first problem is that um, we have a budget of 105 billion and that has to be funded and um, Pascal was on the on the, on the, on the radio and he, I suppose he'd be one of the better guys I believe in in in, in um, the Department of Finance and within the government um, it's a huge it's a huge intake and there's a lot of things to be paid. I mean, we're talking about, let's say, social services. That all has to be paid for. Public services have to be paid for. So that's the first thing we might say. Secondly, um, the cost of fuel has been going up and the Greens have, over, over the various uh, years, have brought in the various uh, carbon levies. This is was going to happen. So, you know, the increase in fuel was not going to go away. Um, how would, uh, how would I have dealt with it? And certainly the shortage of fuel. I mean, there's a question there that Fergus asked, like, why is petrol now the same price as diesel? Probably because there's a bigger demand on diesel rather than petrol. So I think that's that's just been at, at, at the barrel level rather than at government level. Um, I think probably VAT would probably be the fairest way to do it because it would have been an immediate effect. Might have been much more difficult to administrate. And I think that's probably the solution. It probably will bring in, because every time they touch the, the, the excise, um, if the if the raw price comes in, it's going to overwrite whatever any excise reduction there is. So VAT is probably the one that's as easy to manage. 
Now that would, that's how I would suggest it might be done. And I do think um, it's going to be short term, relatively short term, and I hope it's going to be relatively short term at this extreme price because um, I think a deal has been quietly done with Iran to give us a bit more oil. I think the OPEC countries are probably seeing, well, look, look at this Russian guy, Cheney. You know, we have to deal with this problem and um, we're, we're, we're not going to get into bed with them. So I believe that what they might do is just isolate and, and, and um, pump a bit more oil to bring the price down. So I think there's going to be a couple of combinations of things happening. Now, the Iranians might get a bit of um, OK to run a few nuclear power stations, um, etc., etc., but I think that's how it's going to be dealt with in the short term. It's probably a bad reduction and then the natural, there will be a natural reduction. But diesel and petrol will never be cheap again. Let's go through some comments on 083 30 10 103. So, uh, Gabby, you had mentioned the petrol station in Athlone saying they'd bought in fuel previously, so they had to pass on the excise they had paid. Well, Robert doesn't buy that because when it comes to budget day and prices go up, suddenly that's immediately passed on. There's no delay. There's no lag. So, uh, uh, no, <laughs> no dice, he says. Um, Will people who buy part electric and part petrol cars should be incentivised now because diesel is worse for the environment? Well, that's back to the NOx, these these particulates that come out of the exhaust. But let's not even open up that particular debate. Will, when you were representing the devil's advocate earlier that with a harsh winter nearing an end, why would we have a temporary ban on harvesting now? The time of the year to harvest for both domestic fuel and commercial consumption in power generation is in spring and summer. So that's when we need to do the sensible things to allow the average citizen access to heat and electricity at a moderately priced level rather than next September when it will just be a paper exercise for the optics of appearing proactive. Will the war in Ukraine itself is generating how much CO2 and yet we can't burn a sod of turf, points out Sean. And Bernie has sent a message, an image from social media, of a fuel voucher scheme. And it claims, and I'm going to underline claims, the Irish government, in conjunction with Fuels for Ireland, are giving a €300 Euro fuel voucher to the first 5,000 applicants. Is it a scam, she asks. Take a look at the link that it asks you to click on, where it's a Reddit link with lots of funny looking squiggles that is most definitely a scam and they want your details not to give you 300 euro money will only travel in the wrong direction if you do that Midlands Today on Midlands 183 with Bus Erin. Get better value using the TFI Go app for the Bus Erin at Lone Services See transportforireland.ie there's nothing funny about the war in Ukraine, but if there was one story that we won't be able to leave it that up. I think some people found slightly amusing this week, it was the decision at a committee of Dublin City Council to put to the people of Orwell Road whether their their address should be renamed Independent Ukraine Road, because one of their neighbours happens to be the Russian Embassy. So whenever you would write to the Russian embassy or whenever they would have to give their address on their website or over the phone, they would have to say, Russian embassy, independent Ukraine road. If you were a resident of Orwell Road, would you vote in favour, John? Uh, good question. Uh, well, well, I actually think it's uh, <clears throat> it's very ironic that it is called Orwell Road because if uh, anyone knows about uh, Animal Farm, <clears throat> it was written by George Orwell, which was... Uh, 
in many ways they believed it was a, a complete attack on the communist regime where um, essentially the people revolted and the pigs were regarded as the top people and um, they just completely have what we have is the Russia of today. So yeah, I, think it's very, I never I think made it's very, that connection. Very good. I think it's very apt to call it Orwell Road. Um, so I, I think the job is already done. I think if I was a resident, because I know Orwell Road quite well. In fact, my, my youngest daughter thinks that the, the most fabulous houses she's ever seen. They re- it really is the most beautiful road. Don't know, you know, after spending so much money, the, the minimum price must be a million euro plus plus for a house there. I don't know whether as an owner I'd be overly happy to be called um, Free Ukraine Road or something like that. Mm. But I think I think the Orwell name probably is apt enough. Yes, well, I think they've sent the message anyway to yeah. uh, those who need to hear it. And Gab, did you, as, as a former councillor, think this was a bit amusing? I did, and I actually would have supported it. And I believe all 20 councillors in that area uh, supported it. I think, yeah, I thought it was hilarious to see, well, not hilarious if it can be hilarious in more, to see a guard the car parked outside the Russian embassy and the colours of the blue and yellow on the guard the car. Oh, yes, um, yes. Uh, I thought that was really good. And like John says, it's very apt with all, with, with uh, being more well uh, road. I think it probably would be temporary. I don't imagine that they will do it forever. So I don't suppose that the value of your house will drop because um, they change it temporarily. And actually, do you know what? It wouldn't bother me if it did because I think um, it, it's a statement. And I think we need to stand up and, and support the people of Ukraine. So I think it's a great idea. I wouldn't well, mind it happening here. <laughs> one know? of our genuinely more amusing stories this week was about phobias. Because we learned of a woman, Summer Monroe who, at the age of 25, has decided she's going to survive for the rest of her life on bird's-eye chicken nuggets, Walker's crisps and some chips, because she has a fear of fruit and veg. She even declined an offer from her granddad for a £1,000 sterling to eat one single pea. And then we looked at the psychology of why some unusual phobias exist and they're often irrational. And we even heard, you know, the undertaker on professional wrestling, six foot ten, 300 pounds, full of muscle. He's afraid of cucumbers, utterly petrified of them. Fergus, do you have anything to declare? Any phobias, any strange fears? Probably not, not having enough money, Will. <laughs> yes. Um, no, none that I know of. But look, I suppose life is life, and it throws up many quirks for people. And uh, I mean, if you were to take it seriously, you know, if I suppose if that if you were that person, you know, if you're coping with it, okay, it's not a major issue. But you know, life is life, as I say. I, I don't know what to make of it, to be honest with you. But I mean, a thousand quid is a thousand quid. I'd be, I'd be doing anything I could if I was a. Uh, Need the money to, to for the sake of a pea. I'd be, I'd be eating the garden of peas. Mm. Well, you mustn't have a fear of heights anyway. Being involved in the parachute club. <laughs> well, look, so you, 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 most people do when you get over them. You know what I mean. But you tend to live with them and and, and, and get on with life. John, does anything give you the heebie-jeebies? Uh, wasps. Oh, I'm absolutely terrified of wasps, and it's irrational and it's unreasonable. And my daughter thinks it's absolutely hilarious. You know, a wasp comes into the room and, of course, I just become completely unreasonable, much more unreasonable than normal. And she just says, will you look at that? He's mad. Like, <laughs> what, will you grab a newspaper, it. start swatting? What do you do? No, I usually run and ask the wife to kill it because I'm absolutely terrified of them. You're joking. No, I don't mind bees. I will sit in the garden and bees can fly all around me, but I really have a completely irrational fear of wasps. Were you stung as a young fella? No. No, I just have, have a funny thing about wasps and I really don't know why. And it's... 
it's nonsensical. It's really ridiculous. But uh, it's great to see the wife going, threatening this wasp, and she's my hero when that happens. <laughs> like, total hero. <laughs> oh, knight in shining armour, indeed. Gabrielle. Yeah, I don't have anything like that, really. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be too keen on seeing a mouse running across the floor, but it wouldn't, I wouldn't have, a, uh, you know, a fear like that of it, or I wouldn't have any fear of eating a pea either. And I feel for that girl. I think that um, there's some, something else there, and I think she needs help. And, you know, maybe it's an attention thing. I don't know, but maybe I just feel she needs help. And, you know, she might say that she can survive on chicken nuggets now, She's 20, whatever years she is. But, you know, we don't know the effect that those um, processed foods are going to have on her insides when, by the time she's 40 or 50. And Well, I think we can guess <laughs> and it's not yeah, going to well, be good. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, I actually think that, that that young girl needs actually needs psychological help. You know, if she has an issue, there's, you know, she needs some help. Another um, fear but, we yeah. discovered this week, it was described to us as Thanatos, which is a fear of death or more precisely, a fear of nothingness. And a story from Midlands103.com on Tuesday could relieve that fear, at least for a while, because the Salk Institute has been testing cellular rejuvenation technology and they claim it will undo the damage of stroke, cancer heart attacks. Now, they've trialled it in mice so far, so let's not get our hopes up on Julie, but the early indicators are successful. And they reckon humans could live to 150 if this works. But the question then becomes, Fergus, do you want to live to 150? Well, you, you anticipate my reaction with it. You know, I, I, I can just give you... Uh, uh, a real-life comment of, of an elderly gentleman who I, I knew of, and he was asked one day, he was 97, uh, it's a few, about four or five years ago, he was hale and hearty, he was driving his car, cooking his meals, living on his own, and he was asked one day, how are you, so-and-so, how are you? He said, I'm tired of living. Oh, dear. You know, so I do think the natural life of itself that, you know, it throws up, certain emotions and uh, obviously as we get older we're, we're for a lot of people will be more aware of their mortality uh, i'm always hugely skeptical when i see something like this of the salk institute um because it, it's certainly um you know no one knows what you'd have to do a lot of trials before it would go anywhere if it was ever to be developed cellular regen regeneration uh, rejuvenation sorry technology uh, and i mean there's a huge huge business out there in cosmetic surgery enhancements uh, superficially without it being the mean invasive and uh, it's, it, it makes me wonder at times you know what what are people striving for well if elon musk has his way we'll all be uploaded into some great database and it'll be artificial <laughs> intelligence it'll be the real life matrix yeah. <laughs> well, look, as I say, on that particular thing, you know, it's, 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 it, it, to me, it's, it's, it's just print on paper. I, I'm very, very sceptical about anything like that. On our Friday panel, Fergus MacDonald from the North Offaly Community Development Net Network. Also here, Gabrielle McFadden, former county councillor, former senator, former TD in Athlone, and John McCann from MCM Accounting in Tullamore. 
103. The Midlands 103 text and WhatsApp line. Powered by Lamb Brothers Arden Road, Tullamore. Home of Toyota, the top-selling car brand in Offaly. Midlands 103. Now, on our Friday panel, we've John McCann from MCM Accounting in Tullamore, Gabrielle McFadden from Athlone, no longer involved in politics, but focused on social enterprises. And Fergus MacDonald is from the North Offaly Community Development Network. Uh, we learned this week, as part of International Women's Day and a conference that was taking place about policing, how the former Garda Commissioner and the first woman ever to ascend to that office, Noreen O'Sullivan, had as a young recruit to refuse an instruction to make sandwiches because some VIP happened to be coming. She can't remember who they were, but they required tea and sambos. Ergo, she was the one to make the sandwiches. She refused the request. She was sent home by her sergeant. The next day, she was hauled in before the superintendent, who was genuinely baffled, she said, that a young female recruit would not do as she was asked. Gabrielle, what perspective can you bring to this? Well, how did I know you were going to come to me first with that? <laughs> well, I, I reasoned that as a woman in Leinster House, which would be yeah. pretty yeah. testosterone fueled in a male environment, if ever there was yeah, one, absolutely. that you might I, have a take. I, yeah, I absolutely do. And I mean, I, I was horrified to read it, but I, I mean, Noreen O'Sullivan, I, I remember back in the day when she was made, um, she was guard the commissioner. And at the time we had uh, a female... Uh, and Minister for Justice and we had uh, the Garda Commissioner was a woman and at the time I was the first ever female government chief whip in the Shannon and I thought things were you know moving in the right direction but in actual fact when you look at it now today it's even gone back in politics it's gone back you know the numbers of women everywhere and I, I don't know I, I think I told you this story before about my first day in on Westmeath County Council did I? No. I was elected in 2009 onto Westmeath County Council and there were 23 councillors, two of whom were female, myself and the lovely uh, Labour councillor at the time, Desi Cornali in Mullingar. And the council chamber in Mullingar is two very long rows straight across um, 11 and 12, you know, 11 in the front row and 12 in the back or Mm -hmm. vice versa. And I was probably number 10 on the first row and, and the county manager at the time came along and started at the far end and presented everybody with a tie and a set of cufflinks as a congratulations on being elected and here's to the next five years kind of thing. And all the way along, I'm sitting there thinking, I wonder what I'm getting. And when oh, they got no. to me, they presented me with a tie and a set of cufflinks. Oh, no. And I, my very first utterings as a politician, as a baby politician on Westmeath County Council was, uh, is this what I'm getting? Were you not expecting me? Um, To which one person behind me, who shall remain nameless, shouted up and said, what's wrong with you, Gab? Is it a pair of knickers you want? Now, I was disgusted, to say the least, with, with the county manager at the time for not having thought of the fact that Dirty Cornelly and I were actually after being elected and we were coming in. But I was more disgusted at the attitude of the councillor mm. who spoke from behind me with his attitude of, you know, that that's all a woman would, would I want. Don't to blame you. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. And that was 2009. And things really haven't changed that much. And, you know, if, if Noreen O'Sullivan feels that she has to come out now in 2022 on International Women's Day and tell the story of the fact that she had was sent home because she wouldn't make sandwiches, 
I think we have to really have a very serious look at ourselves as a country. Um, and I think that, you know, women need to stand up and, and be counted. I think women need to shout out more for themselves. And I think men need to listen. Um, and, you know, men don't need to be afraid. It shouldn't be that, you know, if, if a woman gets ahead, it's to the detri detriment of men. It should be that we're equal and we're 50% of the population. So we should be 50% of board members. We should be 50% of politicians. Um, and I don't think, you know, I think that's it, it, it's absolutely outrageous that, that, that Noreen O'Sullivan had to tell that story on International Women's Day and that, that it actually happened to her. So there's my take. You have me on a soapbox now and you've me all wound up. <laughs> yeah, but you've, you've left me speechless, so I'm going to hand it over to... Unusual, it that's is, unusual. absolutely. <laughs> but, yeah, Fergus, you, you were a councillor, Eden Derry Town Council, as I recall. And I'm just curious what attitudes you would have observed in that time, if any, that would tally with what Gabrielle has told us. Um, yeah, well, certainly going back in the old local, local government structure of town commissions when they were, and then they were renamed, I think it was in the reform of local government in, was it, 94, 92, around that time. Uh, yeah, there was one female member uh, of, of the town commission and, and a colleague of mine that was elected alongside me at the time, Tommy Morrissey, uh, we were absolutely aghast at, at uh, the pervasive attitude and and uh, downright castigating that went on to a sole female member. And, and we both, you know, for no other reason other than uh, we would be like-minded, as are most people, that everybody's entitled to be treated with respect. Uh, and, and there was a certain attitude that would have... <laughs> Labelled both of us at the time as, uh, you know, against the majority and a bit of uh, off mainstream. But no, I actually think I, I would differ with Gabrielle insofar as I think it was actually brilliant of Noreen O'Sullivan making that known publicly uh, to, to everybody and, and, and anybody. Because uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's now I would hope and I would expect that that mindset is certainly in a very, very small minority. Uh, that would 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 that that wouldn't happen now, uh, and and uh, we're in the day of equality, and uh, you know most people have families and either have uh, wives for most people, uh, and, and and they have uh, sisters and they have daughters, uh, and 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 it's a huge uh, fostering ground for uh, learning for respect about respect, uh, and I think the fact that Noreen could say that. You know, I, I really do think she she done a great service to enlighten people that would be unaware of the way Irish society was. And looking back, and we can't rewrite history, Will, but I do think that was life. Like, I remember my late mother being up ahead of my father and, and having the, the breakfast ready for me. Uh, that seems to be, we've had a disconnection there, but I, I think you get the gist of what he was saying different times Gabrielle McFadden only what was it 13 years ago having that experience at Westmeath County Council John I don't think you were ever tempted by politics but I imagine you're less tempted now um, well look I think I think there's a couple of things um, uh, and it's quite shocking really what, 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 what Gabrielle and what Noreen O'Sullivan had to say um, as, a, as a daddy of, of, of three ladies um, I certainly would have a, I suppose um, a perspective on it I think the first thing that's a problem is I think that attitude does exist. And I really believe that 
if there wasn't the sort of legislation that's there, it would, to some extent, continue. There's no doubt about that. There are some guys who are complete relics and have an absolutely appalling attitude towards women. And I think it's something, and I could be wrong in this, but maybe something a bit... Uh, cards in the public service a little bit more than the private sector. Um, my view is, on, on, and I work exclusively in the private sector, that I have nothing but the highest of regard. Not for women. I'm sorry, it's not about women. It's about individuals who are very good at their job. Meritocracy. quite a lot for mm. women. I find this thing that we have to have quotas is absolute nonsense. I think it, it denigrates the person they should be in the position because they're very good at what they do. I would also make the point again as a daddy um, is that I think women get it a bit tough because there's the whole maternity thing that, that only women can have babies. It sometimes upset, upsets careers. When a child cries, mummy always feels it much greater than daddy and she feels the responsibility because that's just what mammies do. That's what makes mm. them brilliant. But it does interfere somewhat in their career. So I think the systems are somewhat... Um, against them. So instead of actually maybe being a little bit of men, I think it would be much better if we could improve the work environment uh, to facilitate women's needs more. I think that would be much, much, much better because and, and this is, sounds really, really chauvinistic, but there's certain jobs I'd only give to women because they're better at it as a general rule. Now, it comes down to the individual, but there are certain roles that they're really good at. Now, if I'm looking for a solicitor, I very often look for women because they're exceptionally, they're exceptionally incisive um, if I'm looking for grey, I may bounce it off a man. Um, so it's it's about, uh, and I think we just need to take away to some extent the man-women thing. It is about the individual. And that's where we have to focus it on. Um, there are certainly uh, people who are not good in the way they treat women. I think that's disgusting. It's appalling. And it's throughout the world. It's, mm. it's awful. But I think in Ireland, we have improved an awful lot. And if we can Let's focus so. on the individual rather than the, the sex, it will be much better. That's where we have to leave it. John McCann, thank you very much for your time from MCM Accounting. Also on the panel today were Fergus MacDonnell of the North Offaly Community Development Network and Gabrielle McFadden, former councillor, former senator, former TD from Athlone. We're over time, so Pete Casey is on the way with the afternoon show. Thanks Sinead Hubble for putting it all together. I'll chat to you soon. Bye bye. <laughs>